What do you think of when you hear the word Reformation? We'll be discussing the way people reformed religion and how those religions influenced politics around the globe on today's episode of Footnoting History. Hello and welcome to Footnoting History. My name is Leslie Skazen. Today I will be talking about religion in the 16th century and how the Reformation in Europe began to affect belief beyond Christianity. In fact, it would not be inaccurate to describe the 16th century as a time of global reformation, affecting major religions across the world. The ramifications of religious change would reach all the way from Europe to India. Imagine living in a time when education was hard to find, and most people were illiterate. Ideas were being exchanged, but your own literacy provided a barrier to entering that conversation. What options might you have? In England, the public house, or pub, became a draw for illiterate people to have a drink and listen to others read aloud from the most recently published tract. In the Mali Empire of Africa, for instance, historians called griots roamed the countryside telling illiterate listeners stories of the past and informing them of global developments. In Mughal India, the emperor commanded the world's leading religious figures to come tell him about their beliefs. As a result, that emperor, Akbar the Great, collected a description of the world's most influential religions during a moment of monumental change. The 16th century was a major period of turmoil. We often focus on the Christian Reformation that flooded Europe with new ideas and incredible change. The challenge of altering Christian dogma created strife and tension among existing nations. War broke out. People tried to blow up Parliament. Massacres of religious dissidents occurred across Europe and beyond. Families were torn apart. Large groups began to leave their homes to settle in the New World. All of this change affected people's daily lives, too, as the alteration of the Church's influence created opportunity for stronger legal courts and the growth of little kingdoms into fully formed nation-states. This all occurred as European monarchies were sending more and more ships along the coastlines of Africa through the empires of Mesoamerica and into the forests of the American Atlantic seaboard. So perhaps it should come as no surprise that this period of global discovery meant that the tension of religious change was not confined to Europe. When people speak of the Reformation, they most often mean the changes that affected Christianity. But at this time, Reformations were occurring throughout the world. The Aztec people were struggling with the conquistadors of Spain and the missionaries that came with them. Surviving temples from this period show the sudden and curious appearance of crucifixes in Aztec art. For the Aztecs, it seems that the blood and body of Christ during that crucifixion fit very well into the rituals of sacrifice and bloodletting. The conquering Catholic forces did not approve of ritual sacrifice, but the symbolic consumption of communion appealed to an existing religious belief for the Aztecs. These overlapping ideas made some conversions easier in the New World. The consequence was neither Aztec nor Catholic, but something entirely new. A reformation of belief merged from two distinct cultures. It was in the 16th century that Iran adopted Shia Islam as the official state religion, creating tensions among Muslims throughout the Middle East. The Ottoman Empire helped to spread this tension to other Muslim areas. The growing gold trade complicated such changes, as the traders sought prosperity but had to negotiate the private beliefs and political consequences of the Shia and Sunni communities. 
During the 16th century, Timbuktu, the center of the gold trade, grew to its most influential height amidst personal conflict over privately held religious beliefs. As trade continued to grow across the world, other religions began to change. Henry VIII broke with Rome and French Huguenots were massacred in Paris, at the same time that a brand new religion was born in the Pujambi region of India, the Sikh faith. Sikhism is the sixth largest world religion and continues to grow today. Sikhism is a monotheistic religion in an area where Hindu and Buddhist practices were common. In contrast to the Protestant idea that good works were less important than pure faith in Jesus Christ, the Sikhs embraced the almost Catholic notion that good works would be rewarded regardless of ritual and private faith in this world. A good person of any religion would be rewarded in the next life. The Sikhs rejected the Hindu belief in caste and reincarnation. They were led by a guru that emphasized generosity and goodness over ritual, ceremony, and recitation. Amidst all of this religious turmoil and change, the world was connecting in new ways. The emperor of a major Asian empire, the Mughal Empire of India, came to hear about it. Akbar the Great was born in 1542. He came to power as a young man, aged only 14, and he ruled the Mughal Empire from 1556 until 1605. He was perhaps the most capable and powerful of the Mughal emperors, installing new plans to expand the size of the empire and balance regional and imperial authority. Most importantly, he established a system of centralized administration. This would help the Mughal Empire endure weaker leaders following Akbar's death. Akbar ruled an empire of cultural and religious pluralism, yet he managed to draw the regions into a state of unity. How did he accomplish this? Well, he created a system of tributes that paid into the overall imperial system and provided that sense of unity and protection while also emphasizing the importance of local cultural variation. He rewarded difference. Akbar instituted the cooperation of Hindu chiefs. Rather than allow them unfettered regional authority, he brought them under his power through a series of threats, incentives, and power plays. He wanted them to be different, but not that different. He sent imperial troops only to those chiefs considering open rebellion. His tactical use of imperial forces allowed for widespread reputation without having to fight the entirety of India at once. Once his armies brought a rebellious chief under control, neighboring leaders volunteered to pay tribute and to follow Akbar's leadership. In this way, the emperor was able to bring all of India under control without causing a major civil war. Akbar ruled a major part of India as the world began to reform its major religions. Akbar heard about this religious turmoil and wished to learn more about the conflicts that were causing violence all over the world. But as an illiterate man, he could not simply read the texts and pamphlets being produced. He had no idea what the arguments were about. He ruled an empire with multiple major religions, Zoroastrianism, Hinduism, Jainism, Islam, Buddhism. His policy encouraged tolerance among these peoples. In 1568, for instance, he repealed the Muslim jizya tax that was levied on non-Muslims throughout the empire. Instead, he permitted and even encouraged local worship to follow the hearts of local communities, so long as their political allegiance was strong. And so, in 1575, he called a series of meetings involving the representatives of as many religions as he could contact. Jesuit priests visited Akbar, Jewish rabbis, Muslim imams, Buddhist monks, and Hindu chiefs. 
They sat on poofy pillows in Akbar's desert mobile palaces, surrounded by opulence. Akbar paced the palace on a wooden structure above them, listening to each religious thinker in turn, and considering the core tenets of their beliefs and the source of each religion's Reformation tension. Akbar was not looking for a new religion himself. Like most Mughal rulers, he was Muslim, and he was ruling over a region that was mostly Hindu, but religiously mixed. In 1582, after years of listening to religious thinkers, Akbar proposed a new religion called Dine Elahi, or Divine Faith. At its core, Dine Elahi captured some of the best parts of each religion. Divine Faith prohibits the major sins of lust, slander, and pride. Instead, it encourages humility, kindness, generosity, and abstinence. This religion was based on the general philosophy that doing good works for humankind is a good thing. There were no scare tactics, but selfish behavior was seen as the enemy of a well-balanced society. Now, ultimately, only 19 people adhered to Dini Alahi. It would not rise to become a world religion like Hinduism, Christianity, or Islam. However, it was a perfect symbol of compromise, tolerance, and the general well-being of the community. By listening to the religious scholars of the day, an illiterate man applied sensible compromise to religious belief. In a period where wars broke out over matters of conversion and faith, Akbar the Great encouraged people to respect private ideas of God and morality. The choice of celibacy was respected. The idea of being good and giving to your neighbors was encouraged. The specifics of one's faith became less important than caring for each other and ensuring a strong, enduring community. After Akbar's death in 1605, a few of his followers continued to embrace Dini Alahi, but it was more of a symbol of Akbar's rule influenced by the global reformations. The 16th century was surely remarkable in its vast stretch of revolutionary change. Although religion is a private matter, it had real secular consequences in the format of politics, law, and national cohesion. Many credit the religious change of the Reformation to the rise of nation-states, as individual kingdoms adopted specific, unique religions of national character. Most of the world would not catch up to Akbar's commitment to religious tolerance for hundreds of years. Even today, some countries refuse to recognize religious pluralism. Despite the failure of Din-e Alahi to become a powerful religion in its own right, its very existence shows a forward-thinking leader embracing the good of all major religions across different sects. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find further reading suggestions related to this week's podcast. You can also like us on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter, The History Footnote. Join us next week when we'll be talking about the history of Mozart's opera Don Giovanni. Until then, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week!